This podcast is part of the Deluxe Edition Network. To find other great shows on the network, head over to deluxeeditionnetwork.com. That's deluxeeditionnetwork.com. is going on and welcome to take on the world nerd stop with nathan blaze and mike d uh a little bit of housekeeping and explain the nerd stop so uh you know being called a nerd used to be uh a derogatory thing now it's a title of honor, depending on who you ask. It's but a title of honor. The fact is, is I've been a nerd most of my life. Uh, people wouldn't think it, but like I've always been a comic book nerd, a D and D video game nerd. So uh, I embrace the nerd. So I think everybody should. Uh, I tease this one all the time. Oh yeah, he's been a nerd most his life. I've been a nerd. My entire life. Yes. Yeah, so, like, when him and his, his friends have a D&D night, I always call it nerd night. Yeah. Uh, but, you know what? It, there's nothing wrong with that. It's it's cool to be. Very cool. Very cool indeed. And that's only because I'm a nerd. So. Anyway, it's not a derogatory term. It's, it's a term of endearment. Um, so, what Nathan and I have decided to do is embrace the nerdiness and... Focus uh, a series of podcasts on stuff that we like, video games, comic books, and the such. And the such. Uh, technology, whatever the idea is for that week. Yeah. So, uh, we decided that our very first, this is our first official Nerdcast. Nerdcast. I like that. Did you coin that just now? I just coined that right now. So, um, for our first Nerdcast, we wanted to do something that we both liked. Uh, is video games. Hmm. Well, he likes them. I love them. So, well, I've loved them longer than you because I'm a little bit older. Okay, well, my love adds up to more than yours. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I do say like, my, uh, foray into video games started with the arcade. So we we were talking, do we want to do arcade con- uh, cabinet games? And then we both decided that the home console is where we should start. Yeah. And do like a history of the home video game console. Now we're trying to stay away from the plug and plays. Yeah, because... They're almost a whole world of their self. Yeah, so we might cover that in, in, a, in a separate episode. We'll definitely cover cabinet games. Oh, yeah. In, in another episode. Um, but, uh, and handhelds. That's that was the other one. Yeah, because the handhelds go way back, too. I didn't realize. Oh, yeah. I mean, if you go back to the Coleco football, which was the one of the first. Handhelds, yeah, the little, 
Just yeah. it was just little LEDs on a screen. Yeah. I, I played it. I loved it. I don't care. Uh, but uh, we decided to focus on the home console. And believe it or not, the history of the home console goes way back. <laughs> a lot farther than a lot farther than you'd expect. So like everyone thinks home console they think oh Nintendo or Sega or or Xbox or Xbox PlayStation 6 or even or even the educated few Atari Atari was one of the best until a certain point. So uh, I'm going to let you touch this first one because this is your research here. Ah yes. So now this I'm going to preface this by saying this was not a home, but when we talked about video game consoles, we decided we were going to do commercially viable. Yeah. So, uh, but just to show you the depth of how far it goes back, uh, go ahead, break. Okay. So, to debate the first game console. It's an argument whether it was a Pong console, the Atari, or whatever. Everyone has their sides. But, this one's highly debatable, which is why we're kind of putting a footnote with this one. Yep, this is a, an asterisk. Yeah. So, this this console is well, it goes back. What was the year again? 1948. Yeah, 19... 19 can you, hold on, imagine that. that. That's a few years after World War II ended. 1948. 1948. Nobody even conceived in their mind of a home video game console in 1948. Not everybody had TVs in 1948. And yeah. And yet you have this. It's called the Cathode Raid Tube Entertainment Device. Cathode Raid Tube Entertainment Device doesn't exactly roll off the tongue. And, well... C-R-T-E-D. Yeah, I guess. Credit. (laughs) Credit. Okay. (laughs) Why don't you go get in your time machine and go tell them, hey! But, so, it was invented, and I'm probably gonna butcher the second name. But the first name... Thomas T. Goldsmith and Man Estel 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 Ray. Um, so they are the inventors, but this console, this device, entertainment device, never really got past. It, it was never it did, deployed. It never hit the mark. It never hit the market. It was only it was patented in 1948, and it only ever received a patent. It was not commercially distributed. Yeah. So, but tell them how it worked. Okay. So, the cathode ray tube entertainment device. It was a cathode ray tube screen, and the way it worked. Is that, you know, the cathode ray tube would light up. That's not, there's not too much game in there. But you would have these slides or these 
decals that you'd put on the screen. You'd slide them over the screen. They were pre-made, and they would have come with it if it were to go out into the market. And you just put them in, and I guess that's that's your game. Okay, so what you might not know is uh, cathode ray tube is an old tube TV. Yeah. Uh, but cathode ray tube was, like the CRTs back then, were monocolor. Yes. So it was like the old green or orange screen print, something like that, like you would see on uh, Fallout. Yeah, I know what you're talking about. So, so they would take these decals and put them over the TV, and that's how you would play the game. Yeah. I don't know what kind of controller it had. I don't know anything else about it, because when you brought this up to me, I was thinking, uh, I didn't hear this one. Well, and I didn't research it because we were talking about commercially viable ones, but the the thing to me is 1948. I know, I figured that's why it was worth mentioning. At least mentioning that in 1948, this was an idea. And this kind of leads into some of your more popular ones, like, I don't think we did too much research into it, because they weren't consoles. Like, Tennis for Two. Okay, Tennis for Two uh, was the first video that it, it was commercial, but it wasn't a home video. Yeah, no. Uh, and Tennis for Two was played by one person. I had a, like, why call it Tennis for Two? Why well, not Tennis for One? Well, hold on. Let me let me count. Uh, 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 two. There you go. Yeah. So, uh, Tennis for Two was something that was designed and patented I, I don't do I have that in here I don't know I do not but because, because I was doing commercially viable ones so and so you could pay to go you actually you could stand in line to play this at um it's either a museum or, or something like that uh but so basically it was pong yeah um so you get into the cabinet games, and uh, the cabinet game makers wanted to get into the home market. They wanted their video games in the home. Could make more money that way. Uh, so the very first home video game console was the Magnavox. Magnavox Odyssey. Yes. So that was released to the public in 1972. Again, the working prototype was made as early as 1966. Yeah, the brown box. Yeah. So, like, again, 1966, not everybody had a TV. No. So, uh, the Odyssey was designed by Ralph Fair. Uh, there is a debate on whether this is a digital or analog system because of the additional analog circuitry yeah. for the output, the game control, uh, and the components used. Um, now, I'm looking, I was looking through the ge- generation. Okay. And this was listed in the second generation of video games. I don't know how. I think it was a mistake on that website that I was looking at. Okay. This is the first one out. So, um, there were not game cartridges per se for this. Uh, this is 
the one you were talking about. Oh, okay. Where you would you would put a card in, and basically the card would act as jumpers in the system to give you a different game. Yeah. So you couldn't have an ever expanding library of games because all of the games were still built into the console. You just had an external, like a key, almost. Right. Yeah. So all the games were programmed in it. Now there was no sound. Uh, so Ralph Baer proposed a sound extension to Magnavox in 1973, but it was, the idea was rejected. Asshole. People don't want sound. That's too, that's too obnoxious. Like a dog barking yeah. or. Uh, again, this one was the same way. It was sold with translucent plastic overlays that the game would put on their TV screens and it would simulate color graphics. Colors! Uh, but there were only two TV sizes that were supported by that. So, if you had a bigger or smaller TV, your color graphics were screwy. <laughs> um, it was also sold with some dice, some poker chips, a score sheet to help you keep score, uh, much like a traditional board game. I didn't know that about the Magnavox. Yeah. That, okay. I didn't know it either until I did the research. I knew about the slides, but I didn't know that it came with score sheets and poker chips and dice. And so this Ralph Bear was basically an innovator in his, he, he proposed the concept of an active cartridge containing electronic components allowing them to have uh, more game features. Uh, that was also rejected. Uh, they, it was game features, sound effects, uh, variable net position, whatever that means, variable ball speed. Uh, the idea just didn't gain any. People aren't going to want sound. They're not going to want expansion. People aren't even going to sit down and play. Right. So, that brings us to number two, which is Pong, which was released in 1975. Uh, in 1972, Atari released Pong cabinet arcade game. Uh, three years later, a home version was released through Sears catalog and Sears stores. Oh, Sears! Immediately, Magnavox filed a lawsuit against Atari. I guess uh, Pong was an Atari game. Uh, they filed a lawsuit against Atari in 1974. Eventually, Atari settled out of court because uh, the company, Atari, couldn't afford all the legal fees. Well, yeah. Uh, and the lawsuit was basically, look, the paddle ball, boing, 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 was ours. Uh, we date back to 1966. You can't show that, so it's ours. So the settlement was for 1.5 million dollars, paid in eight payments. Ouch! In addition, Magnavox obtained full rights to any information on Atari products publicly announced and released over the next year, and that's important. That was that. Yeah, that's pretty big because then they could get the jump and try and make right. their own. That's so, okay. So basically, look, you stole business from us by, by putting out this game. Uh, so for the next year, anything you develop, or anything you publicly announce that you're developing or release over the next year, uh, we get a chance to steal it from you. It's pretty much what they said. <laughs> you, really? Yeah, really. So, uh, 
it's thought that Atari delayed the announcement of the Atari 2600 by a few months to avoid disclosing it under the agreement. <laughs> Which was smart. That, yeah, that, that's, that's smart. That because is actually really Magnavox smart. never again, uh, gained any market share in the home console, like real, like any real market share. Uh, Atari was the big one in the early seventies. Uh, so like they made out. So there's other notable entries in the generation one video game console. Uh, the Epoch TV Tennis. Okay. For Epic. Uh, it was a Japan only release. Now I know we decided we were going to do American releases, but I think it's worth mentioning. All of these generation one games were Pong clones, which in reality, we, we call it a Pong clone because that's what we know. Yeah. But legitimately, it was a Magnavox clone, which was a clone for Tennis for Two. Yeah. And I mean, Sure, you can call them unoriginal or whatever, but even nowadays, we still have that similar, but instead of it being straight up a clone Pong, it's just the style of game. Yeah. Because now that's common, like having the different styles of games, but back then, oh. Yeah, if we want to break down styles of games, like first shooter, first person shooter, uh, the Metroidvania. You have my attention. (laughs) You know, those are all styles of games that are based on a game. Yeah. Um, and so the same thing was happening in the industry all the way back in, in the beginning. All the way. Uh, what's this? Vinatone TV Master. It was much like Pong, but it offered four games. <gasps> Squash. Which is tennis. I was just looking. Squash Practice, which is Squash for one. Law Ball. Uh, Football and tennis. And it was set up very much like the Pong home console with a attached controller with a knob, and that was it. And that would move your thing up and down, up and down, or back. <coughs> uh, the Coleco Telstar is another Pong clone. Okay. Uh, Color TV Game 6. Color TV game. This is the one I was talking about. This was the first one made by Nintendo. That's the first Nintendo foray into the home console. Okay, I didn't know this. It was only released in Japan, and it wasn't released till 1977, but it's still considered a first generation one home console. Okay. It was the first console to offer color games. It was by 77. Color TVs were almost everywhere. You didn't see black and white TVs anymore. Okay. Um, it was sort of a Pong clone, although it offered different ways to play Pong, including putting obstacles in the path of the ball. Obstacles? And, and that was game innovation back then, dude. Like, you had to hit it around through, through a little a hole up here, or a hole down here, where they had walls, and you had to hit it around. Uh, I didn't know this about this one. I didn't know this, the Color TV Game 6 was a Nintendo first. I didn't realize that. I didn't realize that was a Nintendo. I recognize the name now that we're talking about it, but I did not. I had no idea that was a Nintendo. So, uh, we're going to go into the Generation 2 now. I'm going to let you do the first one because you put some effort into this. 
first one. Oh, the Fairchild Channel app. Man, they really had a hard time with these names. Yeah. Well, or it was also called the Channel Fun. Yeah, because that rolls off the tongue so much better. Yeah. Anyway. But yeah, the Channel F or Channel Fun hit the market in 1976. Now, just just so you know, at seven, 1976, I was six years old. Oh, so you were sitting down playing the Channel F. I never played the Channel F. I did, however, play the original Atari. Okay. Which is a generation two video game. All right. So, 1976, it was developed by Gerald Jerry Lawson. And it was manufactured, get this, manufactured by Fairchild Camera and Instrument. So, they weren't even, they weren't even a game company. Nope. They made cameras and other electrical instruments. I I had read some stuff about them. I forgot to write it down. I, th- I think they also made tel- telescopes. I think you're right. But they, um, if I'm remembering correctly from what I researched, uh, is, is that Jer- number right? See, I'm not sure. That's a lot. I'm not sure. So, okay, go on. Yeah. So, Gerald came to them and he's like, hey, here's this idea. And they're like, ah, sure. There's money to be made there. And why I'm putting so much emphasis on the Channel F is because the Channel F really changed everything about the home console world. Because what was unique about the Channel F is that it was the first console to use game cartridges. So you could release the console and then continue to make money off that console because now for the next however many years you can release these game cartridges. So this one was released in 76. It wasn't discontinued until 1983. 1983 is just a significance in 1983 when it comes to the home game consoles. Okay. Uh, There was a a crash in the home game console industry in 1983 where sales for everybody just dropped off. My... I think I know... Let's not get too far ahead of Okay. Uh, this console sold for $170, roughly. Which, in, well, in 2021's money, yeah. is $810. Expensive as hell. Yeah. And the games on this, they were, they were simple. They were simple. I was trying to find how much, how much storage was on the cartridges? I couldn't find. I couldn't find the specifications of the cartridges. I do have that for the twenty six hundred because it is amazing. Yeah. So when we get there, but you have one here that it sold six point six million units. That can't be right. That's got to be a mistake. Uh, Comment below if you think that's a mistake. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, and you, you know what? After when you're editing this, just put it flashing right up above. I, I'm gonna look. Because, Liar. Yeah. <laughs> Mistake. Uh, six point six million units. Because if, when we get when we get down the way to some of the other ones, <laughs> like the one sold like three hundred fifty thousand units, and that was considered good. Yeah. So six point. That's a lot. Yeah, and this console it had some success for a while. This is how the article I was reading worded it. It had short-lived success. Now, short-lived, that's a lot to sell in a short amount of time. Seven years. Seven years, too. So, yeah. It was, yeah, so first console to have the cartridge. Interchangeable cartridges. And it launched with 26 games. Wow. Now, they were all very simple, and I guarantee you one of them was probably... Probably a Pong clone. Guaranteed. Probably multiple of them are Pong well, clones. Well, I do remember from, from reading this, because I looked, this was, at the time, one of the most powerful uh, processors. Okay. One beats it out right after this, but at this time, this was, uh, let's see, the resolution was 128 by 64, uh, which is approximately 102 by 58 pixels visible. Uh, 64-bit system of RAM, uh, which is half the amount of the later the Atari. And Atari came out a year later, and kind of this. Yeah. Uh, however, there was one that dwarfed the Atari 2600. Which what? Is gonna, oh yeah. That it, now this says the commercial success was very short lived, so I, I highly doubt it was six point six million copies. I years. might have grabbed I might have grabbed the wrong number. You might have been looking at the wrong one or I don't know. I've done the same thing. So that is an impressive system and it, it brought us to where we are today with the interchangeable cartridge. So the Atari twenty six hundred was released September nineteen seventy seven. And it was originally called the Atari Video Computer System, the Atari VCS. Okay. okay. Actually, it was on the box, but it's. But you remember it as the 2600. Well, I remember it just as the Atari. We okay. didn't call it the 2600. We just called it the Atari. Well, because. That was all there was there. Yeah, it was just the Atari. So the games were stored on swappable cartridges following the lead from the Fairchild Channel F. Uh, it came with a joystick controller and paddle controller. Ooh. The system came with the game Compact, uh, Combat in early years and then Pac-Man in later years. Pac-Man. They started off with two kilobyte cartridges. That's it. Two kilobytes. Two kilobytes. This document that I wrote here. 17. Yeah. It, it's more than two. It's a lot more than two. And it, that's only a, some, some font and, and size. That's it. Yeah. So you couldn't even store this. You couldn't even store this. You could store it in a car, cartridge was capable of holding much more. But they started off with two kilobytes. So combat. Now I used to love the combat game. So you had your joystick and you had, you could play tanks. You could play, there's a couple games you could play, but, uh, there were straight shooter tanks where you had to shoot straight. There was the ricochet tanks where you ricochet off the side. 
But I don't even think this was 8-bit when it started. I think this is like 6-bit. Probably. Graphic. Probably. That'd be my guess. Uh, by the end of its cycle in 83-84, the games games were using more than four times storage for the original game. Now, that's still like 12 (laughs) kilobytes. Well, hey, it's four times more. Yeah. Uh, There was significant advancement in visual and gameplay as a system. It was significantly more advanced than the, the system was made to handle. So it was taxing. By the end, it was really taxing the processor, and that that's why they came out with the next system. Uh, this the, the next the, the game that is given the example there is Pitfall, was one of my favorite games. Oh yeah, Pitfall. I love Pitfall. I've never played it, but I know what you're talking about. The original Pitfall, and then they've released other Pitfalls along the way. Oh, I'm sure. Uh, <laughs> the poor quality because of your taxing the processor really eroded consumer confidence in the system mm-hmm. and the console. And then came E.T. The extraterrestrial. The game was made, and it, that that tell you that can be a uh, episode all its own. Yeah, because I have some information on E.T. that a lot of people don't know. Uh, let's just say the game was rushed to market very rushed to uh, get there for the, sh- the holiday shopping season. Uh, it was critically panned and it was a commercial failure. It was almost the downfall of the entire yeah. video game, home gaming systems. It nearly killed and a lot of these big companies started looking for other places like other places for money. A lot of these companies, like Nintendo, even I vaguely remember. I can't remember what it is, but they reached out and bought shares in other places because they're like, no, this is. They are spiraling down at 400 miles per hour, straight down to the ground. Yeah. So Pac-Man was the best-selling game for this system uh, over the life of it. Now I will give you one guess. What year E.T. was pushed to market? Oh, no, I don't know. You might need to tell me. Oh, no. Let me, let me, let me do a Google search real quick. Oh, and find out. Anticipation's killing me. I definitely don't know this. I absolutely have no idea. I swear, I'm not lying. I'm for real here. I have no idea. No idea at all. I'm just trying to make sure. Um, no. Oh, no. What year is that? 1982. <gasps> Which basically was one of the catalysts for the downfall of the home video game console. Oh, my God. This game, I played this game. I have played this game. I played it when it came out. Horrible. I'm sure it was. You were a little brown turd walking around a scream aimlessly. It was bad. Bad, bad, bad game. Bad game. Bad game. Very, very bad. So that brings us to our next 
entry, which is the Bally Astro Cave or Bally Arcade. See, this one I did not recognize at all. This was designed by Midway. Oh, I like Midway. Well, you, you'll see that, like Nintendo, Midway, Sega, uh, all huge cabinet game manufacturers got into the home market in one way or another. Oh, because there was money. Yeah. This was released December 1977. It was part of what I would consider the great 8-bit era. I love the 8-bit games. I love them. Can't blame you. What I grew up with. And, I mean, like, me liking the 8-bit games, that's someone coming from an era with 4K. And- yeah. Well, what's that game I just started playing? Uh, that's Stranded, Stranding. Uh, Death Stranding. Death Stranding. Uh, the graphics on that are incredible. It's incredible. But, uh, I would take an 8-bit game over that sometime. And you know what? Even in today's market, I still think there's a place for it. I think there is too. Like, even nostalgia-wise, but the, this was a 3.579 megahertz processor, which at the time was speedy. This was the most powerful. This, this one is the most powerful of the first generation period. Uh, it never had mainstream success. And, uh, it cost, because of one of the reasons was it cost $100 more than the 2600. Yikes. Uh, I don't know much about the games for this. I only, these, other ones I just delved, tip my toe in a little bit, just to get a little information. Okay. So the Intellivision, Intellivision, its limited re- release was 1979. Its full release was 1980. Okay. Uh, it had a unique controller that was copied by many after that. It was a circle with a numbered keypad. Okay. So each game came with an insert that went over the numbered keypad. And that's how you played the game. Oh, okay. All right. All right. Uh, another thing that they did with this, uh, now this was made by Mattel. Uh, another thing they did with this is the games themselves came in cardboard boxes. Okay. You'd open it up the way you, like, you go to a video escape store now. Well, not even now. Everything's down a little bit. When yeah. you started going to the video, you buy the box, CD-ROMs in it. Instructions are on one side, CD ROMs are there. This would have the cartridge on one side in a plastic insert, and on the other side in a uh, fold was the uh, insert for the pa- keypad and then the instructions. You couldn't play some of these games without reading the instructions. Now, we never read the instructions, <coughs> so we never got the full use of the game. So maybe that's why people think retro games are so hard. No one has the instructions anymore. Uh, <clears throat> so it would give you a couple copies of the keypad. Okay. Because after use, they'd get all crinkly. and But that's how you played it. And, oh, hold on. Is that Generation 2? Yeah, that's, we're in Generation 2. Oh, okay. I was going to say, that's, that's kind of whatever. We came to Generation 2 when we got the 2600. All right. All right. And, uh. Channel Our child, the channel up. Okay, that's when we jump. So uh, before we go to generation three, we're going to take a short break here. 
Hey, this is Sammy. I'm here with my hetero life mate, Yen. Hey, Sammy. Hey there, Yen. How you doing? I'm doing pretty good. So, we are part of the Barrel Age Chicks. And who else is part of us? Oh, we've got Harley, Snow, and Crystal. And ourselves, of course. Mm -hmm. If you like hearing about movies, podcasting about movies, <laughs> if you like hearing about music, or pretty much anything, come and check us out. Come hear the chick side of things. We can be found on Spotify and Anchor. And we are also under the Deluxe Edition Network. Come on out and hear the chick side of things. Come on. It's deluxeeditionnetwork.com. Uh, that's a network that we're on. It's a bunch of great guys and gals. Very great. Uh, everybody has their different style of podcasting. Everybody has different topics in podcasting. So just about anything you're interested in, you can find there. Um, you have the Deluxe Edition podcast, which is pop culture. They do a lot of interviews with uh, people from Hollywood, the movies. It's crazy who they get on there. I know. I love it. Uh, you have Barrel Age Flicks, who does movies. You have Barrel Age Chicks, who also do movies. I just listened to their first one today. They just started in January. You have uh, Metalhead Journeys, music, uh, heavy metal music. So you have Bev's Video Kingdom, uh, which I love listening to. Ten Cent Beer Night podcast. Uh, uh, Horsing Around, uh, World's True Crime. It's a great podcast. Uh, Graveyard Club. Return of the Living Flat, Real Drunks. I love listening to Real Drunks. They're funny. And, of course, Take on the World. No way. Where can I listen to them? You can listen to them right here. Right here, right now? Right now. So, uh, every month they have a podcast of the month uh, for January. It's everybody. Because switching up how they're doing it, because there's so many shows on this network now, uh, they're going to have two Podcast of the month every month. Okay. So December it was Ten Cent Beer Night podcast, and we took most of December off. So I'm going to give him props right now. But uh, February, I'm not. I know he told me, but I forget. The monthly double feature. Yeah, that's what it will be. Monthly double feature from now. So check it out. DeluxeEditionNetwork.com. And we're back. And we're on Generation 3. All right. So, uh, <coughs> in Generation 3, you have the SG-1000. Oh, it sounds advanced. It does sound advanced. Uh, this is Sega's first entry into the home game console. Until then, Sega primarily was arcade cabinet game. Uh, but in 1982, there was a downturn in arcades. Uh, I don't remember that because I was 12 years old. I was killing at the arcade. Uh, Nathan had the honor and privilege to watch me play pinball the other day. Yes, it was magnificent. Now, obviously, I'm from I'm from an age where things are less analog, so. Not many people that I know are going out playing pinball every day, but it was magnificent. Uh, we left the establishment with a plethora of free games on the <laughs> machine. There's a good likelihood next time we go back, there'll still be free games. Unless they unplug it. Uh, and yeah. then 
for us. Your but, high score. Uh, I, I love pinball. I used to be a pinball wizard. Used to, you still are. So, uh, I, I don't remember this downfall in arcade, downturn in arcade. Not, not then. Uh, a, a bunch of years after that, maybe eight or nine years after that, yeah. Arcades kind of went out of favor. Uh, so it was released July 15th, 1983. Uh, the third iteration of this was the Sega Mark III in 1985. So all Sega 1000 games are reverse compatible with the Mark III and the Japanese version of the Master System. Okay. So now this is the first time I saw the, like all, all the Sega or SG 1000 games you could play on the Mark III or the Master System. Mark III was the third iteration of the SG 1000. There was the SG 1000, SG 1002, Create, and then the Mark III. But you could play all those games on the Mark III and the Master System, uh, which is the first time I saw a reverse compatibility, which Became a big thing as we, as when you you got into the market with the Xbox. Yeah, uh, we bought the what was the second Xbox? Three sixty. The three sixty. I made sure we got a three sixty that was reverse compatible because there was games on the original Xbox that I wanted to continue to play. Yeah, and I mean, I think because it like your particularity with that backwards compatibility, the compatibility. <laughs> backwards compatibility is a huge thing for me. Like, if a console doesn't have backwards compatibility, I just, my rating of it goes down by two points. It, it, it was a big, like, the 360, when we got it, there was a version that was not backwards compatible. Yeah. And then one that was was. That was was? Was was was. There was was was. There one there was one that was were the words that I was trying to get out of my mouth. Uh, and we made sure that we got the one that was. Yeah, because now that you say that, I remember I remember this. I remember trying to find it and making sure it was backwards compatible. Uh, so, that brings us to the Nintendo Entertainment System. The NES. The NES. Um, as you'll see at the end of this, it's confirmed my thought on the NES. I think the NES is one of the greatest systems ever. Yeah. Uh, it was released in Japan as Family Computer FC or Famicom. Famicom Family Computer. Uh, in 1983. And in the U.S. as NES on October 18, 1985. We had to wait two years here to get this system. Yeah, with a lot of these Nintendo releases, that's that's a trend. So Nintendo was also another cabinet game maker in the eighties, and they moved to the home console. I would say in spades with the NES because uh, the number of NES games that are out there is insane. It is. Um, this system was one of the best selling of its time. And it really helped the industry after the game crash of 83. Uh, or the home, home video game crash of 83. 
Yeah. Which is caused by. <laughs> Don't say it. <laughs> uh, not enough can be said about this console, and this could easily be an episode all its own. Oh my god. Yeah. If you have nothing else to say about the next, I do have one cool you little You say as much as you want, bro. Okay. That's so, enough. Moving on. <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead. So, fantastic console. And this is a little fun fact. And I hope this is still correct. If it isn't still, if it isn't still correct, it just changed recently and I haven't heard about it yet. But the net, the NES, on the bottom of the console, it has a phone number you can call for assistance with issues in your console. That number should still be supported. It's still, it's still a number that you can call and get some level of assistance with issues with your console. Wow, that's amazing. And I think part of that is due to the success. Well, it, it, IGN in 2011 named the NES the greatest video game console of all time. I would. Now, let me ask you: How much NES have you played? Not a massive amount. I've played. Well, my friend. This guy, you know. No, this one's a friend. Okay, someone you know. He has an obsession with the retro consoles, and he has an NES. I had a friend, or someone I knew, who had an obsession with Atari. And I think he owned almost every single Atari title. That's crazy. People would kill for a library like that nowadays. Now, I think the Activision system also played the Atari card. Oh, no, I would not know. But go ahead. But, yeah, it's just crazy. This I've gotten to play it a fair bit, not a massive bit. I've played at least a baker's dozens of games on it. At least once. Uh, do you have a favorite NES game? Mario. Very, very standard take. I know. Zelda. Zelda. He didn't have Zelda. It's hard to find. I would sit up in this living room and play Zelda for hours. Oh my god, if I had a chance to, I would too. Because I've seen that Zelda game, and, you know, it's it's simple compared to what we have nowadays, but you have to take in mind the time, and, but it it still looks incredibly fun. I loved it. So, um, we'll move on to the Master System. It was another Sega entry. Uh, it was originally remodeled version export of the Sega Mark III, and it was launched in the U.S. in 1986. Okay. I don't really know much else about it. I didn't, I was not, I was not a Master System fan. Okay. <laughs> uh, I, I think NES so dominated the gaming industry at that time that anything else, uh, Atari had, like the next one is the Atari 7800, but in between the 7800, they also had the 5200. Which was not the 2600. So I don't know when the 5200 was introduced, but Atari went downhill and never recovered from ET. 
I'm I'm sure. I am sure. So also in this era was the Commodore 64, and now I have to switch to my Windows here because my research, for some reason, did not save. Hmm. Seems to be a trend. The, the Commodore 64. Now, I didn't have a Commodore 64, but I had a It was a Radio Shack version of it. So the Commodore 64 is more of a home computer, an 8-bit home computer. Uh, it was released in 82. Uh, it was... It, the, the Commodore 64 dominated the low-end computer market for a long time. What was the... The Tandy. Tandy... I think uh, Tandy was the Radio Shack version. Okay. Sounds familiar. Now, I remember using this, and you could do basic DOS programming on this. All right. But the Tandy that I had, you couldn't save. But you could write, you could spend all day writing that program. And as soon as you turn that system off, you lost everything. Nice. I think with the Commodore 64, you could put a cartridge in it. Like a floppy. It wasn't a floppy. It was a hard cartridge. Cart. Oh, okay. I think. Uh, but when it was released, this was like 500, 600. Yeah, 595, <laughs> which now is about $1,600. <laughs> um, it was discontinued in 94. Um, I was not a huge Commodore. As recent as 94. Sorry, that just hit. Yeah. That's the Commodore 64. It it was basically a home computer. It wasn't much. They're the carts. Ah, okay. Uh, I I don't think it was as popular as it could have been, but the Commodore 64 was well known at the time. Okay. I mean, now, of course, my my clique is a bunch of computer nerds, but everyone I know at least knows of the Commodore. So it has left some lasting impact on the world. Right. So that's that's the uh, Generation 3 wrap-up. The Generation 4, you have PC Engine. Okay. It was PC Engine Super Graphics. Uh, by Nintendo? I have no idea. NEC Home Electronics. Don't remember this one? I don't know much about it. It looks like it was a copycat console almost, though. It looks like it attacked something else. Oh, that's to a CD-ROM edition. Oh, okay. <laughs> anyway, uh, after that you had um, uh, the Sega Genesis. Okay. Which, I had a Sega Genesis. I loved it. Uh, 
16-bit-ish, I think. That's 16-bit? Yeah, 16-bit. Fourth generation home console. Uh, it had another one out at that time. I don't know what the hell it was called. I don't think... It wasn't the Mega Drive, was it? It might have been. I, I, I see that there, but I don't remember the Mega Drive. I remember some other Sega consoles, but the Genesis was the last great Sega console. They uh, primarily went into making video games after... Well, they couldn't compete with Nintendo's consoles because Nintendo does what Sega don't. (laughs) What was the next uh, Saturn? The Sega Saturn just went downhill and then there was, uh, after the Sega Saturn, there was the Dreamcast was not a big fan of the Dreamcast, but that the Dreamcast was like equivalent to the GameCube, but the GameCube had more kids games. The Dreamcast had more adult-ish focus games. Okay. Like the Xbox. Um, do you have any idea where the Sega CD might have fallen in line for you? I don't remember it. Okay. I don't remember it. Like, uh, it's not even on this list, I don't think. That might have been on land. A region locked console. It could be like, like I said, there's some of the the, the Japanese ones that I don't have. Yeah, uh, there's this Neo Geo AES that I have pulled up here. Uh, it sort of looks like a Sega system. It actually looks like a, a Sega Saturn. Okay, it was a Japanese release. Uh. Again, I don't know much about it, but it was another game system that derived from cabinet games. Um, I'm kind of quickly going through the fourth generation because Sega Genesis and Super NES were the only two that stood out there. Yeah, Super NES. Uh, Even with the Super NES, I preferred the original. Really? Yeah. Okay. I, I was just so stuck on that you know, Legend of Zelda. You know, the NES came out with the uh, little light gun for the shooting game. The Nintendo Zapper. The Duck Hunt. Uh, we're not going over the handhelds, but there's some handhelds on here that uh, in 87 that came out that were like precursors to what's out now. So, Generation 5, I don't even, I never even heard of that one. No idea what that now, is. 3DO Interactive I've heard of, the Atari Jaguar I've heard of, the Saturn I've heard of, PS. PS. I've heard of PS. I, 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 I think I know the PS. The, the PS, the PlayStation I had. PlayStation! I had ridiculous amounts of time in some PlayStation games. Oh my god, even when I was little and we still had PlayStation. Yeah. I probably killed that thing. Uh, Nintendo 64. Well, I... Either the original PlayStation, the 64, the game, one of those was my first console. I bounced back between all three of them a lot when I was little. But one of those three. Well, I know the PS was 
collect. This is 93. Uh, now, I don't know exactly when, between 93 and 98 is Generation 5. But the, the two standouts there are PlayStation and Nintendo 64. Yeah. Uh, and really, PlayStation, only one that is still surviving. What's Nintendo's game now? The Switch. The Switch and the Wii. The Switch is a handheld. Yeah, the Switch is a hybrid console, but yeah. Uh, so, PlayStation is now, as we talked about before, PlayStation was the first one to use the discs. They're most well-known for it, but I wouldn't say that the first, I believe. Who was the first, then? Well, I know the Sega CD used it. I never heard of it. Not even on the list. Doesn't count. Well, <laughs> I know PlayStation wasn't the first CD. I when we did our video game, what I think it, I think it was. I didn't bring those up because okay. Uh, I mean, I didn't bring. A, I had it in my original research, and for some reason, it did not save. Probably operator error. Uh, but uh, Generation Six was started in what they would consider '98. You get the Sega Dreamcast, PlayStation Two, PlayStation Two, uh, the GameCube, which I know you GameCube like relentlessly, and the Xbox. I also killed the disc tray on that one. Uh, and then Generation Seven was the 360. The PS3 and Wii. I also killed the PlayStation. 3. And I think this is the only generation we've had all the major ones. And you see the Wii, the PS3, and Xbox. Now Xbox is Microsoft, but they're the only ones like staying alive now. At this point, you cool. have the Generation Eight is your PS4, your Xbox One, and your Wii U. I don't think we had a Wii U. We did, but it stayed back in Lexi. Well, Lexi had one, we didn't. Yeah. Uh, and that takes us to 2012. Yeah. Um, right now... But here's where the, the 5200... Atari 5200 came out in 82. 7886. Atari... Jaguar, I thought. Uh, a Jaguar, like, stuff. Let's see if that uh, Sega CD is on here. It's not. Genesis, Game Gear, Saturn. Tell me the CD was the thing. Nomad. Never heard of Nomad. PlayStation, PlayStation 2, PlayStation Portable? Yeah, the PSP. Oh. PlayStation Vita? 4? Yeah, Xbox 360, Xbox One. But now there's the Xbox 10, right? Yeah, the Xbox... Xbox Series X and S. Right. The only difference is that the S is a cheaper option because it's all digital. Okay. 
so it's less components. And then PlayStation 5 with the refrigerator. No, the X was the refrigerator. That's the one that they made an actual refrigerator. The 5 they call the Wi-Fi router. Okay. Yeah, that's perfect. And it... I mean, this is getting into something a little... This is getting into another discussion, but... It's got got four, four exclusives. Four games that you can only play on the five. I I would love to go through the video game history, the game history, to when they started getting exclusive. Because I, I read over it, uh, there was one system where it was the first system to have uh, system exclusive games in the modern era, not back in. Oh, okay. Like we get uh, like Call of Duty, you know how. You can get Call of Duty on multiple systems, but there were some games that came out. If you wanted to play, you had to play it on this system. That's how a lot of well, which is how they originally started, but then yeah. it, it went away. Yeah, it went away. Everyone had, and it was all about the better graphics or what. Yeah. Or what. So that is uh, a. Brief summarized history of video game console. Yeah, especially on that. Especially on the more recent side. Yeah. You know, the fact is, is I ran out of time in researching. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and what I did research did not save. And I would have to blame a gremlin of some sort. Well, why are you looking at me? I- I'm just saying, I'm looking at you because I'm talking. I'm not blaming you. I'm not saying you're the gremlin. Are you? No. Okay. Uh, or operator error, which is highly unlikely. <clears throat> so that's your first installment of Take on the World. Nerd Stop. Or what did I say? Nerd Stop. No, the, the second one. I coined a phrase at the beginning. Nerd You expect me to remember? Yes, I do. No? That's funny. Alright, I have to look it up because I thought it was pretty good. Pretty witty if I do say so myself. Uh, so, if you like nerdy content, or you like my gorgeous face and wonderful personality, because that's obviously what brings everyone here. Hmm. Not sure that that's true. Come on. Runs in the family. Uh, That's true. Uh, I I plan on releasing one of our nerd uh, podcasts once a month. Okay. Uh, I don't know what our next topic will be. I'll figure it out. I'll wake up in the middle of the night in a cold sweat. I'll be like, oh! But uh, stay tuned for that. Uh, so, we took on the nerdy world of video game consoles. Yeah. Now, you go take on the world. And be a nerd while you're doing it. Yes! Rise of the nerds! This podcast is part of the Deluxe Edition Network. To find other great shows on the network, head over to deluxeeditionnetwork.com. 
That's deluxeeditionnetwork.com.